Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, ripped from the pandemic headlines, best-selling author James Rollins talks about his new thriller, Kingdom of Bones. Also this morning, To Your Health and Our Planets, improper medication disposal not only is a contributor to perpetuating the drug crisis, it can also be harmful to the environment, something important to consider as we approach Earth Day. And happening around town, it's a grand reopening of the improved and expanded Miracle Park to be held this weekend, making one of the community's greatest resources even better for those with special needs. We'll get a preview. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, April 20th, 2022. Today is Volunteer Recognition Day, so big salute to all of the volunteers in the community and around the world. Volunteer Recognition Day, uh, National Cheddar Fries Day, National Pineapple Upside Down Cake Day. So uh, buy some cheddar fries and uh, uh, pineapple upside down cake for uh, your favorite volunteer today to recognize them. It is also National Lookalike Day today. So, reasons to celebrate today. Here is the uh, big news, and apparently everybody is uh, all up in arms about this in the baseball world. Fans are just uh, absolutely beside themselves. The San Diego Padres announced yesterday uh, that they uh, have become the first Major League Baseball team to strike a deal for advertising space on their uniforms, the logo or the uh, the uh, sleeve of the San Diego Padres jersey will feature a patch for Motorola Electronics. Motorola Motorola logo patches will be worn on the right sleeve of the players' jerseys next season. Under the new CBA between the league and the players' union back in March, teams were given the right to have patch uh, patches, um, advertising patches on players' uniforms and sticker advertisements on their helmets as well. Uh, uniform ads will start with the 2023 season. Helmet ads may begin with this year's postseason. Major League uh, Soccer is the first North American sports league to allow jersey ads in 2007 in the world of soccer or international football. Um, they sell logo space on their jerseys right there on the on the front of the jersey. It's huge. It dominates everything else. Um, for Major League Baseball, it's just a patch on the sleeve. For the NBA, they did this, and it's a uh, uh, what do I want to say? A chest uh, patch. A small, uh, small pass uh, on the uh, upper uh, chest of the uh, of the sl- of the uh, jersey. Uh, the NHL began helmet ads for the uh, 2021 season and jersey ads this season. So this is the uh, this is the trend. You got to make money somehow. But uh, baseball purists are all up in arms about this. But that's the way it's going so far. It's just the uh, Padres. They're the only ones, but. You know it's coming. Um, some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. You get your uh, midweek Wednesday started. Um, well, the uh, pandemic is uh, starting to wane. Uh, every day we get a new story about how things are starting to get back to normal. We still should be praising essential workers, though, for getting us through it all. Researchers from four different U.S. universities teamed together for this uh, research, finds essential workers who receive public praise are energized and recover in healthy ways from the stress of their jobs, while those who don't receive that praise experience negative emotions and are more likely to engage in destructive behaviors like drinking and smoking, uh, overeating, and so on. The uh, study found a significant number of essential workers in less visible fields, like corrections officers, Sanitation workers, truck drivers, and the like felt the public had expressed no gratitude toward them at all. You know, and they may have a point. Uh, when we talked about uh, essential workers during the pandemic, we praised the healthcare workers, certainly. We praised those uh, individuals who went to their jobs in grocery stores and 
you know, places that couldn't close. But did we even think about corrections officers? Did we even think about, well, I know we had stories about the truck drivers because they had a really rough go of it when everything was closed. Uh, Sanitation workers and so on certainly had to continue to do their jobs. Researchers say those who felt seen and appreciated were more likely to engage in healthy activities associated with a positive mental state like exercising, meditating, and spending more time outdoors. Study authors say the results demonstrate the importance of public gratitude for essential workers' long-term health, well-being, and the quality of their work. They also said the findings are applicable beyond COVID-19. So this is not just uh, pandemic-related. It's really for any time. But uh, just reminds us to, once again, send out a big salute to those essential workers. And by the way, speaking of essential workers in the pandemic, have you been pressured to return to the office? And again, we've had stories of late, more and more employers demanding that their workers come back to the office instead of allowing them to continue to work remotely. That was the big talking point during the pandemic was the dynamic of work, uh, work from home, remote work or hybrid work going to be the new normal. And increasingly, it appears that is not the case. Uh, Businesses more and more are demanding their workers return to the office. However, it is a do as I do as I say, not as I do sort of thing for the higher ups. In the office, according to a survey by Future Forum, 35% of non-executive employees are in the office now five days a week. Just 19% of executives can say the same. Of the employees who are making the commute, more than half say that they would at least like some flexibility. And non-executives largely report having uh, a much worse work-life balance than their bosses. All of this they say, points to a double standard in return-to-office messaging as executives prod their workers to return to in-office work to boost collaboration. But the reality is that companies are also trying to justify long-term office leases or state-of-the-art headquarter buildings they've spent millions of dollars to build. And employees are not having it. According to the survey, workers who are unsatisfied with their flexibility are now three times as likely to say that they will definitely look for a new job in the coming year. Uh, Future Forum recommends companies offer schedule and location flexibility in order to retain top talent, even if it means breaking cultural traditions and developing new workflows. But here's the thing, and this is kind of a uh, related note. Uh, Where was this that I saw? Um, A lot of people, apparently, who did quit their jobs during the Great Resignation say that it hasn't really worked out the way they expected it to. A recent survey um, for USA Today, it's a Harris poll for USA Today, found some regret among the 47 million people who quit their jobs during the Great Resignation. About one in five of those who resigned during the pandemic say they regretted it. Many of them said that they wanted more pay, more responsibility, but then realized that their new gig was not the dream job that they thought it was or that they thought that they wanted. So it was kind of a grass is always greener on the other side of the fence kind of thing going on. Uh, So something to to keep in mind with respect to that as well. Don't always jump at something that seems like a great deal at the time. Uh, A couple of other uh, interesting items here. First things you need to know this morning, Judy Garland's dress from the Wizard of Oz is going up for auction. The blue checkered dress that Judy Garland wore as Dorothy in the classic film will be auctioned off next month. I thought that was like in the the Smithsonian had that or something. I know they have her ruby slippers, the Smithsonian, because I've seen them. Uh, The last time I was in D.C. and we visited the American History Museum, they were actually on display the ruby red slippers from the Wizard of Oz, which was kind of cool. But I thought they had the dress as well, but apparently not. The dress will be on display at Bonham's Auction House in New York for six days starting Saturday. And the pre-sale estimate for the auction 
800000 to $1.2 million. Expect this thing to go for. Wow, that is amazing. $1.2 million. But then again, it is Dorothy's dress from The Wizard of Oz, so it is pretty significant piece of movie memorabilia there. And how about this? This may be the biggest and certainly the most important news of the day. Scientists have taken a closer look at the flow and fracture of Oreo cookies. The Massachusetts Institute of Technology says the cream tends to stick to one side of the cookie or the other when you twist the Oreo apart. Researchers at MIT studied this. The co-author of the study, Crystal Owens, says uh, there's uh, something about the cream, the texture of the cream, and I think they go into the scientific explanation of this, but she says um, the texture of the food, depending on the failure stresses and strains, if you twist the Oreos perfectly, you should split the cream evenly in the middle, but what actually happens is that the cream almost always comes off entirely on one side. The st- <laughs> MIT looked at this. Must have been very bored during the pandemic, I'm thinking. Um, researchers say that the, uh, the study also revealed that it is easier to open up the cookies if you twist them more slowly. Uh, the uh, cream may stick consistently to one side because of the way the cookies are manufactured and then oriented during packaging. Cookies from the same box often often followed the same trends, and then those trends varied from box to box, possibly, they theorized, due to different storage conditions. So they really went in-depth on this to figure out why it is that uh, the Oreo cream sticks to one side or the other. And it's not just you. It does. Now we know. That is some serious scientific research there. There you go. Uh, Some of the first things you need to know, the most important and buzzworthy stories to start your Wednesday morning. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly cloudy skies, warmer today with a high 58. Mostly cloudy, windy tonight with a low dropping to near 50. A Hancock County Drug Task Force, along with Findlay Police Department Emergency Response Team, carried out a drug raid in Findlay. Authorities say a search of the residents on Ely Avenue yielded more than a pound and a half of methamphetamine and other drugs. Two firearms were also recovered from the residents. Three people were arrested and jailed on outstanding warrants. Additional charges of drug trafficking are expected at the conclusion of the investigation. Get more on the website. The Hancock County Board of Commissioners has approved a resolution enacting exclusion zones in most unincorporated areas of the county to prohibit wind and solar projects. Commissioner William Bateson voted in favor of the exclusion zones. At least for me, I'm a farmer, and I I look at it as are solar panels greener, better for the environment than what we're doing right now? than what we're growing there. Before the vote, Tim Miley, director of Findlay-Hancock County Economic Development, addressed the commissioners, saying banning wind and solar projects outright would hurt the county's economic growth. Officials say the ban will not affect two solar projects already planned for the Arcadia area. Get more on the website. A trade union for Ohio's election workers is urging an end to the redistricting fight between the defiant political map-making panel and the state Supreme Court. One justice on the court has likened the back-and-forth to the movie Groundhog Day. The Ohio Association of Election Officials said that's an apt comparison. The association added that Ohio election workers are the ones caught in the repetitive nightmare. House and Senate races will not be on the ballot May 3rd and will have to be decided later. The association also stood by state election officials' insistence that a second primary for those races must be held on August 2nd, no later. Dave James, Owen and News. The Ohio State University is asking the Ohio Casino Control Commission to limit college sports betting. OSU's Office of Government Affairs is concerned that without certain rules, students and student-athletes will be exposed to undesirable behaviors surrounding sports wagering. OSU wants the state to limit college betting to only football and basketball and to eliminate prop bets. I'm John Marshall, WFIN News.
Well, thrilled to have our next guest with us. Best-selling author James Rollins has been called one of contemporary literature's top crowd pleasers. His latest novel in the Sigma Force series is Kingdom of Bones, blending cutting-edge science, historical mystery, and pulse-pounding action in a race against time to head off a global catastrophe that uh, James honestly sounds kind of like, very much like what we've been through the past couple of years. Is that uh, not a coincidence? Is this a pandemic-inspired novel? It is some, some yes and no. Is I actually had the idea in 2019 to write a book about the weird biology of viruses, I had actually done pandemic novels in the past. I didn't really want to do another one, uh, but I wanted to explore sort of the, the strangeness of, of virology, the fact that viruses are one of the least understood life forms on the planet and the most plentiful. And so, uh, you know, I pitched this idea in 2019 to my editor, and she said, hey, that's pretty cool. Let's run with that. Then 2020 rolls around, COVID appears, and she <laughs> emails me and says, you know, Jim, did those virologists that you were speaking to back in 2019, did they warn you about what was going to happen? Did they give you any heads up? Uh, they did not. Uh, but what they were telling me both before the pandemic and during the early stages of the pandemic was quite frightening. And a lot of the, there's some shocking details I fold into the story that do shed a light on this pandemic, uh, sort of a, a behind the scenes look at what's going on in virology today, mm-hmm. both in regards to the biology of viruses, uh, you know, how we're hunting for viruses, how we're trying to stem off the next global pandemic. So, uh, you know, if you want, besides being a big thrill ride, hopefully as you, you know, finish this book, you'll have a lot more insight into what's going on today. Yeah. Now, I mentioned the Sigma Force series, of which this is the latest, I think, is it the 16th, if I'm not mistaken, 16th book in the in the series? For, for correct. For those who are not familiar, this is a covert team of ex-special forces officers with expertise in science, medicine, weaponry, martial arts, and computer technology. I think of them as kind of a, if this was a comic comic book superhero, it would be uh, ones that have every superpower, could leap over tall buildings in a single bound, and spin webs. So uh, you call them uh, scientists with guns. You know, Sigma Force has been a fun group to work with. Uh, you know, initially, I, I didn't really want to do a series, to be honest with you. I, I resisted doing a series. But then I thought, you know, I could do a series based on a group of characters because at that point, nobody's safe. Uh, with with a, a series based on a group, I can, I can knock off major characters because mm. Sigma Force can always recruit a new member. So yeah. I like the fact that I can maintain Jeopardy and keep my readers on their toes because uh, as those that have followed me through the 16 books, there's been some uh, some shocking... Uh, Talking deaths and maimings that occur, and and as we mentioned, a part of the the appeal of these stories is that combination of history and science, and science fiction, and the action adventure component, and all that. How do all of those come together for you in crafting a story? I mean, what's the what's the starting point? Do you start with the um, idea of a specific situation? Do you start with a uh, location. I mean, kind of take us through crafting one of these stories. Well, it's pretty much all of the above. You know, I've always got my antenna up for three things. I'm looking for an historical mystery, you know, a piece of history that ends maybe in a question mark, something I can solve from the pages of a novel. And I'm looking for that science that makes it go, what if, where, where's that headed? How, how might that threaten us? And I'm looking for locations that might be fun to set a story with. And, you know, different stories start from different points. Sometimes it's the science, sometimes it's the history, sometimes it's the location. And the key is trying to find that jigsaw puzzle pieces to put that science and that history and the location all together in one spot is, is the challenge. But it's also a great deal of fun. It involves a lot of research. It involves talking to different uh, research. I mean, for this book, I talked to virologists, the medical doctors, the, to uh, evolutionary biologists to try to make sure mm-hmm. that the story was accurate. I had to keep tweaking this novel as the pandemic unfolds and make sure it stayed topical. Uh, so it's uh, it was a challenge to pull that off. As we mentioned, uh, these uh, characters in the Sigma Force series, these are uh, ex-Special Forces. And as something of a sidebar, you are active in your support of uh, American veterans. Uh, talk a little bit about your work and your efforts uh, with uh, the veteran community. For asking that, because I do, I do like to go ahead and give a shout out to the organizations that I work with. Uh, you know, I had an idea. I did a USO tour of, of authors to uh, Iraq and Kuwait back in the winter of 2010. And when I came back, I really wanted to to do more. I, I'd done you know haphazard slipshot uh, you know promotions, but I wanted to do something more more uh, defined. 
And so I was approached by USA Cares, a great organization. They raise uh, money to help vets in need. If they're not loans, they're basically money in the pocket. And they're very efficient at it. For every dollar they raise, 98 cents end up in the pocket of a veteran. And whether you need help with a mortgage payment, help with travel expenses, uh, they are there to help you out. So it's a great organization. But I'm also now working with U.S. for Warriors, uh, the grassroots effort out of San Diego that's spreading nationally. Um, again, they have social social work, welfare activities for vets, but also there's a new offshoot where they're encouraging vets to tell their stories. And they have a mentorship program where they, they help sort of guide veterans and in, in, in how to craft their stories, how to tell their stories. And whether it's, whether it's for publication or whether it's just for the own edification of the families, have a journal of what happened, whether it's just a matter of uh, getting it out of their head and putting on a paper to help them out. Uh, it's a great program, and I'm you know, very honored to be a part of it. Mm, terrific programs indeed. One other thing that I got to ask you about, because I didn't, is an interesting factoid that I just learned. I did not know that maybe I'm the only one, but novelist is something of a second career for you. Once upon a time, you were a veterinarian uh, by trade. How does one make that leap? Uh, that did raise a few eyebrows, uh, especially <laughs> with my clients. Questions needed to arise across that table, you know, they, mostly because I had a poster in the lobby that said, you know, get your cap spade and get a free book. Uh, so they were asking me, what's the long-term goal in life? What, you know, what are you doing? You have a successful veterinary hospital. What's this writing business? And I said, well, you know, for 15, 20 years, veterinary medicine was a paycheck. That's how I earned a living. But, uh, and writing was just a hobby. I really wasn't making any money off my writing in my early career. Uh, it was just something I did for fun. Uh, but I thought maybe down the line would be fun to switch that around, is have veterinary medicine be my hobby and writing be my paycheck. And so I, I always resent when someone says former veterinarian because I'm still licensed, I still practice, I still work with a volunteer group that traps feral cats, wildcats, and they bring them to the shelter, and one Sunday a month I spay and neuter them. Hmm. Uh, so now all I do with my veterinary degree is basically just remove genitalia. But, you know, it's a <laughs> hobby. So at this point, I achieved my goal. As hobbies go, that is a very interesting one, uh, very unique. So, <laughs> uh, strange trajectory to this point. <laughs> James Rollins, uh, again, the uh, new book is Kingdom of Bones in the uh, Sigma Force series. Uh, we'll link it up uh, to your website where uh, folks can learn more about it and about the uh, series. Uh, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. Certainly, best of luck with the book. Thank you. I appreciate the support. Thank you very much. Well, you may not realize it, but if you are tossing unused medications in the trash or flushing them down the toilet, you are actually adding to the nation's pollution problem and potentially harming our critical natural resources. It is true the issue of proper medication disposal is not only a health issue, but also an environmental one. So as we approach Earth Day, we are joined by Nancy Devine, Chief Operating Officer uh, Verde Environmental Technologies, Inc. And Nancy, first of all, let's talk about the familiar warnings about not keeping prescription medis, uh, medications on hand, something we hear time and time again, and yet the surveys show that people are still doing it. Yeah, you know, I think we all have that instinct uh, to want to keep them for some reason, um, or, you know, we might actually know uh, just we shouldn't really put them in the sewer or the trash, mm -hmm. but... I think the problem is that other options for safe disposal um, are inconvenient and sort of few and far between. But those potent, dangerous drugs that you kind of talked about, the addictive drugs like opioids, it, it's a real uh, risk, a safety risk. It's a national you know, public health concern right now. Um, leaving them, uh, not disposing of them promptly and properly can really cause problems. Uh, it can lead to misuse, addiction, accidental overdose. All of that. So yeah. it's really important to have um, those being disposed of. And when we do dispose of those medications, uh, oftentimes people are not doing so properly, as you were alluding to. And that's where we talk about potentially doing damage to the environment. Yeah. You know, when we're putting them in, um, we're flushing them in the toilet or pouring down the, the drain without properly disposing them or deactivating them, which is which is a term we can talk about later. But they really can pass through those sewer septic systems. Um, our systems really weren't designed to treat this kind of waste, so ultimately they're ending up in our waterways. Uh, this is a well-documented um, 
phenomena nationwide. They're in our lakes, our rivers, our streams. Uh, landfills, uh, then they can leach into the soil as well. Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned, uh, even in the landfills, uh, you know, like throwing them in the trash can not only hurt the environment, but also, uh, doesn't really mitigate the danger that much, uh, because, you know, they, they can be fished out of the, of the trash before it, it goes, uh, out into the to landfill. So to make matters worse, you may be in that case, getting the worst of both worlds as it were. Yes, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, a lot of communities, uh, ours included, have uh, a number of locations with drop boxes where people can uh, leave their medications to have them disposed of properly. But what about for those times when we can't get to one of those locations in a timely manner? Yeah, that's uh, a great thing to point out. Those options are are excellent. We work with a lot of sheriff's departments that actually have those drop boxes um, to to they buy our product as well. So if someone's coming in to bring in their medications, they hand them a pouch to use in that interim period. So there's just not enough use of those options, and sometimes they're not convenient for more rural locations. Location. So really what we wanted to do was have an at-home disposal option um, that you can use right away when you need it. So the product that we've developed is called Zetera. Uh, it's a drug disposal pouch. It's a safe way to dispose of your medication. Um, you know, it works on over-the-counter prescription medications, including those addictive opioids. It works on pills, liquids, films, creams, patches. Um, it's really the only product of its kind on the market now for at-home use. We, we were originally developed with funding from the National Institute on Drug Abuse. Um, we hold a patent for the invention. It's been independently tested. Um, and the way it works is by using proprietary activated carbon. So that process is adsorption. Uh, it permanently deactivates the pharmaceutical molecules themselves. So, you know, when I talking about deactivation, that's kind of the science behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, though, we're also focused on the sustainability of the product because it does end up in the, the landfill after the, the medication is deactivated. Um, so our carbon, naturally, it's organic, but we don't have any other additives in the product. And the pouch itself is certified USDA bio-based. So every one of our pouches is manufactured hmm. with more than 50% of bio-based plastic made from the byproduct of sugarcane production. Hmm. Um, And, you know, really the last thing I want to mention on the sustainability of the doTERRA product itself is that we were recognized in late 2021 with the SEAL Award, which is a a prestigious award. SEAL stands for Sustainability, Environmental Achievement, and Leadership. Um, And the category that we won was the Sustainable Product Award category. So we're really proud of that as well. So, uh, so you use this pouch, then you put your medications into this pouch, it deactivates them so that they are no longer uh, a risk. And then they also don't pose a risk to the environment when they go to the landfill. That's true. Once, once the product, the pharmaceuticals are deactivated, um, they are not uh, able to be extracted back from that carbonate life. Hmm. Now, and and you alluded to this is similar to the way those meds are disposed of when they're dropped at those uh, collection points. So this is basically the same type technology. It is a little different. So when you're collecting all of those medications mm-hmm. um, at a disposal po- point, they're they're using um, incineration uh, to dispose of those drugs, which is also a, a safe way to dispose of them. It's just a different technology. Yeah, and, but and obviously not really practical to do uh, on an individual basis either, uh, and in many cases is restricted. <laughs> yeah. So you can't uh, can't do that. So this well, is the alternative. Yeah, yeah they. They're sending those to permitted uh, right. facilities that right. are well-equipped well to deal with it, yeah. So how do we get uh, our hands then on this particular product? Because, again, for those who it may not be convenient to get to the drop points or they may only mm-hmm. be able to get there every so often, what do we do in the meantime? Where do we lay our hands on this product? So the easiest and fastest way to get Zetera is to order it online through our website. We, um, our website address is zeterasystem.com. It's D-E-T-E-R-R-A system.com. Uh, we're also, if you don't remember that, if the listeners don't remember that later, 
Um, you can also just search for Deterra drug deactivation either in Google. That'll take you to the website or on Amazon. So we're, right. we're available on Amazon as well. So and, super easy to get to. And we will. Um, and you, yeah, you might actually already be able to get our product because we um, sell it in all 50 states already. So we sell to a lot of health departments, like I mentioned, the law enforcement uh-huh. agencies, healthcare organizations and whatnot. And so you might check with one of those. And, and if they don't bring it up, ask them to um, include Deterra in part of their prevention strategies. Very good. Uh, we will put the link up on our webpage as well. Again, uh, Nancy Devine, uh, Chief Operating Officer of Verde Environmental Technologies, Inc. Nancy, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. (laughs) It is time now for an update on the odd and unusual side of the news. Uh, This update on uh, today's broken news uh, brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. I was just uh, reading this uh, story and trying to uh, make sense of this in uh, Washington County, Oregon. Uh, The sheriff... uh, Sheriff's deputies responded to a report of uh, someone uh, cutting metal in a, uh, I guess, in a store uh, parking lot. Uh, This was a local uh, shopping center. When uh, deputies arrived, uh, they found the uh, they they found uh, two men uh, cutting the catalytic converter from a stolen truck in the uh, parking lot. Uh, of this and uh, the uh, when the uh, cops showed up, <laughs> the these two geniuses uh, decided to jump into a getaway car, uh, waiting a vehicle, a BMW, and uh, promptly sped off right into the patrol car. <laughs> hey, oh, we got to get out of here! Jumped in the car and slammed into the <laughs> into the cruiser. Um. 27-year-old Alexander Barber and 22-year-old Dylan Hardy uh, tried to then escape on foot, but were caught after a brief chase. Both arrested and faced several charges. The uh, the deputy in the car that was struck received an evaluation at a hospital, was uh, released with uh, only minor injuries. <laughs> Oops. Not the brightest lights in the bulb, or not the brightest bulbs in the uh, in the shed, I guess. Anyway, something like that. <laughs> uh, elsewhere in the uh, broken news, speaking of uh, not the uh, brightest bulbs in the lamp, two men charged after uh, one of them. <laughs> so it's a traffic stop. This is in Bridgeport, uh, West Virginia. Traffic. So this is a regular traffic stop. Uh, two men in the vehicle. And uh, so the uh, officer comes up to the uh, side of the car, asks the license and registration. Um <laughs> But a big oops, the uh, driver, 57-year-old Roy Porter, uh, instead of handing the officer his vehicle registration, accidentally handed the cop a bag of meth. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Porter was found to be in possessions of four grams of methamphetamine. Uh, The passenger in the vehicle, uh, Jared Miley, age 21, had 220 grams of meth on his person. Uh, He's been charged with possession with intent to deliver a controlled substance. Uh, Mr. Porter has been charged with conspiracy to commit a felony. And uh, both are currently lodged in the North Central Regional Jail. It's a simple mistake. Oh, anyone can make a mistake like that. You know, he's... <laughs> Speaking of bad timing, police in Memphis, Tennessee, say they were called on Sunday afternoon to meet with Arkansas State Police about a vehicle that was left unoccupied in a southbound lane of traffic on Interstate 55 between Memphis and West Memphis. Uh, Officers moved the vehicle uh, to the median to complete a crash report and have it towed away. The vehicle was abandoned. It was involved in in an accident, apparently, and then abandoned. They moved the vehicle out of uh, traffic and then uh, were making arrangements to have it towed away. Um, And that is when the driver of the vehicle, Catherine... Martish returned in another vehicle uh, to say that her truck had run out of gas. That's why she had left it on the uh, on the road, because it had uh, run out of gas and it was subsequently struck by another vehicle. 
Uh, police officers began to inventory her truck, which is standard procedure. And Miss uh, Martish allegedly told them, quote, I don't want you going through my vehicle, unquote. They later found out why. Found 229 pounds of marijuana inside, <laughs> as well as a, a liquid substance, which was not identified in the report, and $17,800 in cash. <laughs> Wonder what she was doing with all of that. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. If you're going to be trafficking in drugs, you might want to make sure that your tank is full. You know, you have a full tank of gas <laughs> before you set out on your adventure there. Uh, bad timing all the way around. Couple of other items in the uh, broken news this morning. Uh, this doesn't involve a uh, dumb criminal or anything, but it is uh, just something that uh, I guess you got to think about if you are considering putting up something like the world's largest hockey stick uh, in uh, North Cowichan. Uh, is this in is this in Canada where they have the world's? I would think probably in Canada where they have the world's largest hockey stick. Apparently, this is now under under attack. The landmark is under attack from two destructive woodpeckers. Residents say they started seeing the birds perching on the 61,000 pound hockey stick outside the community center there in their town. Uh, in early April, one of the birds has been pecking a hole in the stick, which uh, bird experts uh, say that they are they're tried trying to build a nest. Uh, officials say the birds will be left alone if they have built a nest, but if not, they'll look at how they can force the birds to find a new location. Hey! <laughs> Pecking away at their, uh, the world's largest hockey stick. There it is. <laughs> this is a tourist attraction. We can't have birds pecking away at our hockey stick. And finally, in the broken news this morning, what was supposed to be a routine procedure turned into a dental patient's worst nightmare when an Illinois man landed in the hospital after he inhaled the dentist's drill bit. 60-year-old uh, Tom Jossie says, I was at the dentist getting a tooth filled, and the next thing I know, I was told I swallowed this tool. <laughs> Said I didn't even real, really feel it. I didn't know that I had, I had uh, swallowed this. Uh, all I felt was uh, kind of a cough, a tickle in my throat. The uh, CT scan, though, tell, uh, told the story an inch-long dental drill bit had lodged deep in Mr. Uh, Jazzy's lung. Doctors believe that inhaling just before he coughed sent the metal object deep into his airway. The uh, drill bit remained in Mr. Jazzy's lungs for four days before pulmonary expert Dr. Abdul Arialis and the Aurora Kenosha team in Wisconsin tried a device that is normally used for early detection of cancer to extract it. If the drill uh, could not be extracted, part of his lung would have needed to have been removed. Uh, he says he has he actually got to keep the drill bit. The dentist didn't want it back. He said he uh, kept the gr drill bit as a souvenir that he now keeps on a shelf at home. Isn't that wild? <laughs> There you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Your home for Cleveland Guardians baseball is WFIN. Here's the 3-1 pitch to Yu Chang. Swung in and hammered. Deep center field. Way out of here. Yu Chang with a three-run bomb to dead center. The Cleveland Guardians on 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. We are now uh, six months and change away from the midterm elections. So... This is usually the time when we start to see these poll numbers. Politico and Morning Consult uh, put out a poll um, back on. Well, yesterday they put the poll out. I'm not sure when the uh, when the poll was taken or when people were asked about this. 
But uh, so we're a little under seven months from the midterms. And they found that if the election for Congress was held in various voters districts today, the result would be kind of split down the middle. 43% say that they would most likely vote for the Democratic candidate. And by the way, um, I guess at this point, well, see, a lot of in, in many of these districts, they don't know who the candidates are, are going to be yet. So that kind of plays into this yet. Primaries haven't happened. And and so we're not really sure uh, who we would be voting for. But just in a generic ballot type of question, 43% said they would most likely vote for the Democratic candidate. 42% would likely vote for the Republican candidate uh, in a uh, in a party line vote. Uh, a separate 16% say they had no opinion or didn't know. So they're still undecided. Uh, you break this down by gender, 45% of men would vote for the Republican and 39% for the Democrat. It's almost a complete mirror image for the women. 46% would choose the Democrat, 38% the Republican. When you break it down by race, half of white voters would choose the Republican, 38% the Democrat. Uh, for black voters, 61% would choose the Democrat, 12% the Republican. And for Hispanic voters, 42% would pick the Democrat, 32% the Republican. So much tighter in the Hispanic community. But again, I guess we can take this for what it's worth. We're still a long way off. And as we said, uh, many cases, we don't even know who the candidates are yet because primaries have yet to be held. But that being said, it is interesting that... uh, that vote is so overall, the, the vote is so split down the middle, again, considering where the president's approval ratings are and how often the results of the midterms are tied to those presidential uh, those uh, those presidential approval ratings. When they're low, typically the party in the White House uh, takes a bath in the midterms. And uh, so we'll see how it all plays out. But as of right now, it does seem still to be rather evenly split. A lot of work to do for both sides is the moral of the story, I guess. So this week, the uh, Cleveland Guardians have had a tough time getting to the field, but should be much better this weekend, finally. Uh, So, too, the Miracle League... Uh, it should be uh, launching a, a new schedule this weekend, and at the same time, a grand reopening of the improved and expanded Miracle Park is coming up, and uh, Miracle League President Brad Kohler is uh, with us uh, this morning. This really is uh, one of the greatest resources in the community for those with special needs, and has always been so. Now you're making it even uh, that much better. Yeah, this is phase three. Um, you know, we we initially put the the field in in 2016 and mm-hmm. at that time we knew we had several other things we wanted to add to the field and we did that improvement in 2018 when we hosted the first all-star game for the national yeah. uh, miracle league group and um this year we finished those that phase uh by putting up some shades some additional uh bleachers uh zip line yeah that really uh jumped out at me and actually added a zip line to the yeah whole thing, so. uh, the zip line was always part of our design okay um, but we didn't have a, a big enough space at the time to do it because it takes a large uh area sure. it's, it's about a 70 foot uh zip line mm-hmm. and it's dual racing so it's uh it takes up a footprint that we didn't want to give up for the playground equipment mm-hmm. when we first did this yeah but working with the city, partnering with the city, and coming up with an idea of how to put it in our basically outside our right field fence line, uh, right okay. above, right below the pavilion, uh, turned out to be a great site for it. It uh, kids have already been playing when it's been nice. It mm-hmm. hasn't been that nice recently. <laughs> yeah, but, this week uh, is this week the exception to that. Yeah, right. But it's a uh, it's a seventy foot racing zip line uh, that uh, the parents, uh, all kids. Uh, this is an inclusive park. Uh, the key is that uh, everyone can play on these facilities, and uh, we encourage that because 
I think it helps the balance of the community to also see each other in those uh, those aspects. Yeah, I, you know, that is a really important thing that I think maybe goes overlooked. A lot of folks were introduced to the uh, Miracle Park uh, when you held the uh, All-Star Game, as you mentioned, uh, a few years back, uh, not long after, after you opened, and, uh, you know, were introduced to what a wonderful resource this is. But we think of it specifically for those with special needs, and obviously designed with that in mind, but that interaction for everyone to play kind of on a level playing field if you will. Oh, exactly. And to get siblings that have not been able to play at the same facility because of mm-hmm. mulch or dirt or whatever, and their their other sibling can't yeah. migrate through that, uh, that type of uh, structure, uh, this gives them that opportunity to play together. And family, it brings families together. It brings the community together. Uh, there's just so many positives of having everyone being able to play at the same facility. And that's yeah. what we try to encourage. And uh, you mentioned even things as simple as adding additional shade and things like that make this more accessible for those who may have sensitivity to the sun and the heat and the so on, the uh, you know the warmer weather months. Exactly. Our, our population that we primarily focus on uh, um, have sun issues. They mm-hmm. can't be out in the sun, direct sunlight. They mm-hmm. take medication that sometimes makes that difficult. So we always knew we needed to get some type of shade out there. I mean, we're playing baseball on an open field. We don't have a dome. Right. <laughs> so right. we're going to be out there, but when they're not playing, they need to have that protection. Mm-hmm. And so's the families. You know, we have a, a lot of grandparents and everyone that comes out to watch it. So uh, having the shade and having a, um, that uh, set up so that we can provide that to them will just be a great uh, great asset for the for them. So you've got the so you've got the miracle field, the playground, the zip lines. What is next? Is I mean, is this pretty much a complete uh, uh, facility now, or are there still more things that you can do and grow and expand? And that yeah, kind of if thing? you ask my board, they tell me, Brad, slow down. Um, <laughs> so we do not. Maybe I shouldn't ask you that. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> there he goes. He's putting his ideas in his head again. That's right. <laughs> I, and I'll blame you now. Um, no, I, I think right now we're going to focus on how to expand the league mm-hmm. um you know we've spent this is our seventh season of um having a, a miracle league our sixth playing season we didn't play in 2020 but um you know we keep getting new larger numbers of of uh, uh players and so we have to come up with how we're going to grow the league how to offer the miracle field to other um organizations you know like we We've tried to encourage, and, and the city is encouraging, you know, kickball leagues. You know, our field is not just for Miracle League players. When we built this, uh, the original mission was to build a facility that could be used um, universally in the community. So mm-hmm. you can play wiffle ball on it. You can play kickball on it. And uh, I know that those in other places where this has been done, uh, you've seen a tremendous growth in those types of leagues. Too. Exactly. And yeah. so we're trying to come up with a plan of how to – expand the use of the facility but also how to encourage more players for the miracle league and uh, by doing so we're we're offering it to a greater number and i would imagine by expanding its use that also plays a a part in uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, integrating the special needs community with the community at large and yep. and bringing people together in that way. Oh, definitely. I mean, um, we talk about the Miracle League players, but uh, we have buddies that help each Miracle League player, mm-hmm. similar to what Gliding Stars has with their right. their helpers on the ice. And it is is more it's equal or more important to those volunteers to have that opportunity to. Um, interact with uh, 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 with that disability community, but they also then create job opportunities or career opportunities for those people because they're impacted by it so right. much. And, and that was the other thing that I was going to mention. This continues to sort of bridge that gap between the special needs community and the community at large in terms of, of recognition, the, the size of the special needs community, and, and the number of people that this uh, impacts. These are all ways that you raise that awareness and raise that acceptance. Yeah. I mean, this year we're going to go, our league has got about 105 for this spring hmm. league. Uh, 24 of those are brand new to the Miracle League. So it's terrific, you know, 24, 25% increase. Mm -hmm. And if we continue to have that, we're going to have to have more teams, more 
more games, more nights that we play, mm-hmm. more volunteers. So that's what we're going to focus on going forward is how how to provide the same product but at a larger number of opportunities for the community. Yeah, so as we mentioned, the uh, unveiling, the grand reopening uh, with all of these improvements, that is happening on Saturday, right? Saturday at 11 a.m. We're going to have uh, Tim Montgomery is going to be our MC. And we have uh, donors, um, we're going to have uh, uh, our players, and we're going to do a ribbon cutting. We're going to have the red coats there. And um, we're just going to try to kick it off as you would uh, uh, opening day, but in a grander yeah. s- sense. And we're going to have hot dogs and, and uh, meals for everyone. And uh, just kind of, you know, it's going to be a quick, this isn't going to be a lot of speeches. So mm-hmm. at 1130, it should be over. We're going to have a meal, and then our game starts at noon. I was going to say it is opening day because you yes. open the uh, league play. So yeah. so we're opening our, our game season um, at noon, and then we'll have two games, noon and 1 o'clock, and then we'll uh, have another game on Wednesday evening. Uh, we're playing twice a week now uh, on uh, the weekend, Saturdays, and on Wednesdays. And if folks are interested in learning more, uh, as you mentioned, always looking for volunteers and and those who can step up to help in a variety of different ways, you have a website which lays all of that uh, stuff out. Yeah, our website is currently up to date, and it's uh, MiracleLeagueOfFinley.com. Real easy. We're the Miracle League of Finley, and you just add .com to the end of it. Uh, any And we mentioned uh, a few years ago, and it was a big event in the uh, community, uh, hosted the uh, Miracle League All-Star Game, nationally had people coming in from all over. Any chance of doing that again? Probably not in the media future because um, we were able to kick it off, like you mentioned, and it has really gotten a lot of uh, support nationally. They mm-hmm. just held one uh, last year in Houston. Uh, this year's is going to be just south of uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and I believe they've got the next six already wow. um, out there. So right now it's not in our foreseeable future. Uh, we're not... A um, not saying we wouldn't do it, right? But it's really taken hold, and uh, the communities really cool. that really love taking it on, yeah. Really and they're cool using to our, see it expand like that, and they're using our footprint. And it's great to just see how they keep trying to. Each city tries to up the other yeah. one, and it's just great for the kids. There's awesome stuff. So the uh, Miracle League. Uh, the Miracle Park uh, Grand Reopening and Dedication and, and uh, that ceremony is at 11 on uh, Saturday. And all of the games uh, kick off right around noon. That's correct. We'll uh, look forward to that. Uh, we've got the link up on our webpage for more information. Again, Miracle League President Brad Kohler with us uh, this morning. Brad, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate thank, it. Thank you for the opportunity. Best of luck to uh, all of the uh, participants. And that'll do it for our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program. And once again, reminder, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, observing the 114th birthday of the U.S. Army Reserve. A salute to the men and women who have embraced the role of citizen soldier and their distinguished legacy of service. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.